Welcome to Inside Parliament for this week. It's our weekly catch-up of the stories that we've been covering on One News and the political team. We're joining you live from the legendary Beehive studio. I'm Jessica Much. This is Katie Bradford. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to you as well. We're, we're <laughs> it's both been a very, big week. Yeah, yeah, it has been a big week, actually. Um, three strikes has been a big dominant story for this week, so let's have a look at that first. Prisons are under pressure... But the Justice Minister's having to abandon one proposal to ease the strain. I've backed down from things before. Two weeks ago, Andrew Little revealed plans to abolish the three strikes law. He'd hoped to get approval from his Cabinet colleagues today, including New Zealand First Ministers, but... We got to a point by the end of last week where it was clear that we weren't going to get the support. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't any point in going ahead. Uh, with that, th there are way more important things in terms of our criminal justice reform programme. What it shows is a clumsy, incompetent government. An open letter from victims of violent crime also urged Andrew Little not to change the law. There's thousands with first strikes, but 250 odd with second strikes, so, so the offenders are learning from it. The Prime Minister hasn't formally told Andrew Little off, but has reminded ministers to follow proper processes before going public with planned policy changes. So not a good day at the office for Andrew Little, especially as he forges ahead with major justice reforms that need coalition partner support. Part of that is reducing the prison population by 30%. It's increased from just over 8,000 in 2010 to 10,600 today. National had planned to build a new prison at Waikaria. The government will announce on Wednesday whether that will go ahead. The American-style approach of building mega prisons and filling them with low-level criminals is not working. They've got a really clear choice, either to build a significant new prison or to have more victims on the streets. Just get on with building the prisons and keep the community safe. The Justice Minister, keen to get on with things too, but he needs to get New Zealand first on board first. You've got to say, what a way for Jacinda Ardern to leave and go on maternity leave to have to deal with that on her last day. Andrew Little, not happy. You could hear in the media this week, you know, he's clearly been, uh, whatever happened behind the scenes, whether New Zealand first in some way agreed to support this and then pulled it, whether he just assumed he had their support, whatever went on, it's not been a good look for Andrew Little, not a good look for the coalition and certainly uh, not great for Jacinda Ardern before she headed off. What do you think? It was. Do you think it was that he got a bit caught up and a bit excited, talked about the story more freely than he should have, then New Zealand first got annoyed with that and said, no, no, it's a cabinet decision. How do you think it played yeah, out? Yeah, I, I wondered about it because I was surprised that he ever would have thought New Zealand First would support this. They, you know, they campaign on as a law and order party. They have been really strong on areas like this. How Andrew Little thought he had this... I totally... I mean, I, New Zealand First does support the whole idea of the law and order reform, mm. uh, the, the reforms he's talking about making in the justice system, but I didn't see that they would support this part but of it. But Andrew Little and said... And so he seemed... Yeah... In the standout that we, yeah. we went to, he said that they'd done the background work. Yeah. So he'd clearly got an indication, well, he felt like he'd got an indication that they would support it. So it just, it's curious how it got to this point yeah. and an embarrassing back down for him. Yeah, I wondered if perhaps he got support from them 
for the concept of those wider justice changes. And then he went and talked publicly specifically about that three strikes repeal. And that's when they got a bit more of a of an idea about it. I went, oh, no, 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 we, we don't want that. And that's where perhaps there was a lack of communication going on there about it. And I guess big picture, what it does is it highlights what, you have to do to make a coalition government work. And it's an, another example of how you're not there alone. You have to work with New not Zealand happen. first. <laughs> yeah. And it's not easy. And, and if you look at what happened with the Greens this week as well, it's, it's you know, they, uh, Janie Sage had to support, well, under the law, she decided she had to approve that expansion of the water bottling plant, something that the Greens at their campaign launch last year, that was their flagship policy. This was their big thing. Where, you know, how much of the election campaign did we talk spend talking about a charge on water bottling? And uh, then to then have one of their own ministers sign off on an expansion goes against all of that, and that's difficult for them. Members clearly very unhappy. Uh, and, and it's an example. And it's an example of what you have to sacrifice. Yeah, and it's compromise. That's what politics is about. You come in and you can make a massive difference on this issue that's important to you, but you have to suck it up. Yeah. on this issue, and that and that's why it's hard. It's interesting, though, because if you look at the difference between the Greens and New Zealand First, New Zealand First are the ones almost uh, holding, the, holding the strings there, having the power of the government, whereas the Greens are the ones who are compromising, and the Greens are the ones who are going to have to be really and very, very careful if they want to still be back in Parliament in two and a half years' time, because sacrifices like this will irk the members. It's already, the party is already divided in many ways, and this is only going to contribute to that. Yeah, this whole justice sector has been in the media a lot this week. We've had the three strikes. We've also had this announcement about Waikiria Prison. Have a look at this. Waikiria Prison is old, tired and struggling to cope. This place is horrific. The yards are like animal cages. So the government's announced the shabbiest wing will be knocked down to make way for a new 600-bed facility. It'll include a new mental health unit to treat 100 offenders. There's no other facility in New Zealand, and I'm not just talking uh, a correction facility, that has you know, 100 beds to work intensively and comprehensively with people with mental health issues. The government says nearly two-thirds of the people in the prison system have been diagnosed with a mental health issue in the last year. If we can come to grips with that, we can tackle the drivers of crime, so I think everyone's a winner. Right now, Waikiria Prison can hold just over 800 prisoners. Knock down the old wing and add in the new, and by 2022, there'll be 980 prisoners. In total, an extra 174 beds. Two-thirds of prisoners will be double bunking. This new wing will cost $750 million to build and be ready in four years. National was planning a mega prison with 2,000 beds to cope with the bulging prison population. This is not a government that wants to or will build uh, mega US style prisons. Instead of actually investing into prisons, we're going to look at uh, diluting our bail laws and putting more people out on the street that shouldn't be there. Down the road in Te Aumutu, the neighbours are split over how big the prison should be. I think even going in between with the 1,500. Um, you know, meet in the middle and start from there. But, um, yeah, I think that it's silly that they're not going to go ahead with it. That's good, because we don't want more crime. We want to try and lessen the crime. The government says it'll provide 1,500 extra beds in the short term, but is vowing to reduce the prison population by 30% over the next 15 years. There'll be some that say that that's um, achievable, but by goodness... Um, 
by goodness, that's a big ask. Some of these buildings have been standing since 1911. The prison's been added onto over the years, and now it's set for yet another renovation. So the Waikiria prison issue, obviously a big flagship one for Calvin Davis there, also raising the issue of double bunking and this whole idea of mattresses on the floor in gyms. Um, and another example of, of where they have to say, yep, we're going to have to do this even though we don't like it. Yeah, and quite extraordinary, the idea of, of prisoners lying on mattresses on a gym floor. Uh, I'm not sure what Calvin Davis is thinking there. The double bunking thing's interesting as well because they, Labour, have long campaigned against double bunking and then all of a sudden they're coming out and saying, well, if we're going to have this, that's what's going to have to happen. And also this promise of, uh, I've just been in a select committee this morning, a police select committee, the promise of the 1,800 more police officers, you know, the question is, is that going to contribute to needing more prison beds. Well, and, shouldn't it? Isn't yeah, that the point? Isn't that the point? <laughs> and, 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 and Stuart Nash's police minister is saying they want to crack down on gangs and using quite strong rhetoric there. Well, if they're going to do that, you're talking about more prisoners, where are they going to go? And and the police com commissioner has been very interesting this morning. He's insisted that uh, that because these new police are going to be about prevention, it doesn't lead to more people in jail. But, you know, I guess the proof will be in the pudding. I think why this is so interesting is because it highlights the two very different ways that Labour and National are approaching this. National has said, mega prison, um, we're wanting to lock people up, we're wanting to solve the problem by building this prison. And National, oh, sorry, Labour have come in, the government have come in and said, um, no, we're not interested in doing that. And they're saying, we're going to bring down the prison population 30% over the next 15 years. And this is the first step that we're seeing. They're actually serious about it. Yep, they know they still have to build 1,500 more beds, but this is the first step we've, we've seen them take that different approach. And and it's about, you know, this is a back to the whole thing, but reforming the justice system, about yeah. doing things in a different way. Those 100 mental health beds for instance, that will surely cost more. And I think in the discussions we had with the government, they admitted that actually probably having 100 mental health beds over normal prison beds is probably more expensive and it's a more expensive approach. But of course, in the long term, that should pay off if it goes as it should. Um, and it's actually, uh, like Bill English talked about with the social investment approach, is that you invest money now to save money down the track. And so that's what they'll be looking at. With yeah, that. and interesting this whole idea of the focus on mental health. Um, Calvin Davis was saying it's a world first. There are very um, few other countries that are doing it. So if it works for these 100 offenders, I wonder if it's something that we'll see more widely and get some of that international attention. I guess the other thing that's been really interesting is how perhaps things haven't changed. Um, look what we found from 1987 and there are some very familiar issues that pop up in this. Waikiri is the biggest prison in the country in terms of the number of inmates it holds. The maximum muster is supposed to be 431, but prison staff have agreed to let it rise to just under 500 by doubling up in some cells. But even this limit isn't enough sometimes, and prison superintendent Charles Hood says even slight overcrowding can cause problems. It means, of course, that um, we have to double up inmates, and uh, with overcrowding, this causes disturbances sometimes with the inmates themselves, uh, which creates a problem in supervision. Who do you think suffers most, the prisoners or the prison officers? I think that's shared equally, but uh, my concern is with the prison staff. In the past, the muster has got as high as 527 inmates, but under an agreement with prison officers, 
that level of overcrowding won't be allowed to happen again. So a few days ago, when the prison limit was reached, Hamilton police, for the first time, held remand prisoners in their cells over the weekend. Police say they're not equipped to hold inmates for longer stays because there's limited exercise space, and apart from mealtimes, there's no ongoing supervision of prisoners. Waikaria's population has dropped again in the last couple of days, so, for now at least, the police have back the space needed for daily arrests. Yes, yeah, so how things don't change. And in fact, talking yeah. about the double bunk in there and about uh, prisoners being in, in police cells, it all sounds very familiar. I guess one thing you can say about this justice, uh, about this part, the Waikaria prison part of the um, uh, justice system reforms, is that there's no working group. Yeah, the government yeah, actually made a decision true. on something. Yeah, so 30 years <laughs> on, um, and we've added in a working group to the mix, and it's good. But I always find it fascinating with these um, historic clips that we get out, just how familiar they are, how the questions are the same. Usually the characters are different, but not always. Not always. Sort of, right, yeah, no, not, perhaps not with Winston Last week Peters. we had Jim Bolger and yeah, Winston yeah. Peters. So. But <laughs> it kind of, it's just interesting that, you know, asking the same questions, doing the same thing. So, you know, we can learn a lot from history. Yes, yeah. Um, the other thing that um, bubbled up this week was the Nikki Hager uh, situation, the police apologising. So have a look at Katie's story on that. <laughs> The Dirty Politics book kicked off a series of scandals in the run-up to the 2014 election. It led to a police raid on author Nikki Hager's family home, possessions and private data, and now a substantial payout and an extensive apology from police. I'm very relieved of course, but actually it was really important to keep on right through that battle, because if we hadn't, there'd be people who could be sources for Television New Zealand or me or whoever it was, who'll be too scared to come to us. If journalists can't get information from sources who want to remain confidential, then those really important stories are not going to be broken. And apologising for breaching Mr Hager's rights, police also admitted they didn't tell a judge Mr Hager was a journalist and they were looking for a source. They ignored his claim of journalistic privilege and falsely alleged Mr Hager committed fraud when accessing his data from a range of companies. They also came after my travel information in case they could track down where I'd been or my banking information in case I could see which cafe I'd been sitting in and they tried to get my phone, they went after my daughter's phone. They did all this intrusion to try and find out a source. No one from police headquarters would be interviewed today but in a statement Assistant Commissioner Richard Chambers said police have changed their investigative processes in the wake of this case. Should whoever was in charge of this lose their job? No, I don't think so. The current and former police ministers are washing their hands of the decision. It has been settled. It is a decision between Mr Hager and the courts and the police. Police are completely independent from ministerial independence. That's the way it should be, so I have nothing to do with it. The size of Mr Hager's payout is a secret. It will be helping to support my projects, really important projects, for some years to come. He's now hoping the final chapter in the Dirty Politics book is closed. This is uh, obviously very long-running saga. This, but reading that judgment, the apology from police, I think it was about a twelve-point apology, was quite extraordinary. How far they admitted they'd got, well, how much they admitted they got wrong. We knew some of the stuff that they, that the search, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it came out that the search was uh, was an incorrect procedures were followed for that. But that stuff around the data and just how much of his data they looked for uh, is interesting. And I think it does set a precedent. In fact, when I talked to Ursula Chia, she talked about she thinks it'll be looked at around the world in the sense of uh, how the media is dealt with in situations like this. And I guess for people sitting at home, the reason why this matters is... 
as journalists, we have people coming to us who are willing to give us information but don't want to be named because, A, it could affect their employment or their family situation, um, and they want to remain private, usually for a very serious reason. And our job is to protect those sources, um, and we agree to do that. That's how it works. And no matter how big or small the story is... That's that's what we do, yeah, and well, we should be able to do that. We can't do our job without it. Yeah, it's the fundamentals of yep. journalism, and this breaks that because that's what the police were looking for unlawfully. So bigger picture, um, it has a lot of wider implications, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's just uh, a journalist trying to protect its source, but it's a lot broader than that. Like if sources don't talk to us, we can't break some of those big stories um, that you see and, and holding people to account and that's why it's we so important. We can't do our job. Yeah. And I think I think no matter what you think of Nicky Hager, uh, and obviously he's a very divisive person, he was clearly wronged in this case. The fact that the police have had to come out and not just apologise like that, but pay what is a substantial amount of money, uh, enough money that Nicky says he can uh, keep doing his work for the next few years. Uh, you know, so you're talking big sums there. And, you know, it probably goes against absolutely what the police at the time wanted, which was for his work to continue, you know. So yeah. it's the irony in that is there. But I think it has served a very important lesson to the police and to politicians in these cases. You know, there was that, that when all that came out in 2014 and during that um, election campaign, everything that happened that year around that dirty politics stuff, it was, it was, there was some pretty nasty stuff that happened. And I think everyone wants that that slate wiped clean, and perhaps it is now. It's time. taken a long time, but I think um, it has given some lessons to politicians, police, journalists, a lot of people, I think. Yeah, even this far out, so yeah. it's interesting. Well, we might leave it there. It's been great to have you with us for this Inside Parliament, which is our weekly catch-up of the political stories that we've been covering on One News. Um, Katie's going to be heading off um, to Asia for a few weeks, so we'll have some new faces be, and, on here. And I'll be sending some snippets from a three-week study tour I'm doing in Hawaii and Asia. Send you a bit for the podcast every week so you can see what I'm up to. So she'll keep us up to date, which will be good. <laughs> but this podcast is available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you.